Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason. Welcome back to the pastor's office. We ran a previously recorded interview last Sunday because it was Easter. And I pray that each of you had a wonderful Easter. I pray that Thursday through Sunday, Monday, Thursday through Resurrection Sunday, that you were in somebody's church giving God the glory, giving him the praise for sending his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So it is my prayer. And then too, and then too, is also spring break season. So I also pray that you're doing something we talk about on this show all the time, spending time with your family, spending time with these young people who are out of school, giving them something positive to do while they're on vacation. I say this and I mean it. Cherish every moment because tomorrow is not promised. And we've got to stop taking God's grace for granted. All right. You know it, and I know it. We're not new to this. We're true to this. We've been talking to all of the candidates that are running for office here in the city of Philadelphia, and today is no different. City council is up, and we've got a candidate that is running for council member at large. Now, We've been chopping it up here in the studio. Uh, he actually uh, walked in. He's here in person. You know I love it when folk come in the studio in person. Uh, he was down uh, in our kitchen talking to some of the young people, and he said, Pastor, I know you. And I'm like, bro, I don't know you. I mean, did we go to, Did we fight? Did we go at it on the football field? You know, did we wrestle? Uh, you know, did, what, what, what? what? Uh, are you taking me back to some days of old? But he reminded me that we had met about four years ago. He had actually been in my office. And so it was uh, good to make his acquaintance. But who knew then that he'd be running for office in the city of Philadelphia now and sitting in the studio of the only black-owned gospel radio station in Philadelphia, Philly's favor. I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the very first time, Brother Donovan West. Donovan West, welcome to the pastor's office. Thank you so much, Pastor. I I am extremely grateful for a number of reasons to be back in your space and place, even if I had to remind you. 
It's all good. It's all good. It was. I'm over fifty, listen, bro. Look, I, I, so I forget stuff now. So you got to forgive. I tell people all the time: do not. You can count on me for a lot of things, mm-hmm. but don't count on me for memory. I, it's just, okay. It just doesn't work that way for me. But we're glad to have you here. Thank you for making it into Frankfurt, making it up to the studio, so that we can have this very important conversation. Hey, listen. I, to God be the glory, and I really mean that. You know, I'm also. I have to. I have to give a shout out to my church. Greater Exodus Baptist Church. I've been a member for over 29 years uh, under the stewardship of Reverend Dr. Herb Lusk, unfortunately, who left us recently. Uh, thank you. And, uh, and of course, you know, as just as a person of faith, I'm excited to be on this station because it allows me to demonstrate my faith just a little bit more. Okay. I do it everywhere, but just a little bit more here. So thank you. Absolutely, man. It's our pleasure. Our goal has been over the last several months, actually, since we've been uh, since I founded this station, since we've been doing this show, I love talking about the issues of Philadelphia mm-hmm. uh, and the issues that impact the people of Philadelphia. Because at the end of the day, uh, if if our children, uh, if our community members don't have an opportunity at the table of success, none of us have an opportunity this at the true. table of success. So that's what we like to deal with in this space and during this time. That being said... You're running for council member at large. Before we even get there, yeah. give our listeners some background on Donovan West. Who are you, bruh? I love that. I love that. You know, and, and, and as I traverse the city, I'm hearing that often. Where are you from? Where are you from? And I have to tell them I'm from everywhere. And they look at me in with a quizzical kind of stare, and I tell them my story about starting off in North Philadelphia, going to Bethune, you know, the, the grade school, right? Around Allegheny, and then and then you know, I, uh, Bethune <laughs> Cookman. We 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 thank God for for Bethune yeah. Cookman and all the others. But there's a school called Norfolk State University that is just like the elite of all HBCUs. So anytime anybody tells me about Black College, I got to talk about my alma mater. But we we love you though. But I'm I'm talking about the grade school Bethune. You know, I'm talking about. Oh, the, you talking about the yeah. grade school? I'm talking about the grade school Bethune. <laughs> Bethune in North Philly. Okay, all right. You know I mean, yeah, I mean, I see, eight, you know, HBCUs. What? Up, you know, but I see how y'all y'all get hyped the minute we mention the name, and y'all better hold up the number one. And I hear you. Shout out to Cheney too. My brother went to Cheney. Shout out to you know everybody, all the HBCs here. But I went to Bethune in grade got school it, in it. North Philly. That's how I started off, right? And then I went to Pennell, right off of uh, Ogons, and, uh, and we moved around a lot as well. By the way, um, Jamaican, um, raised by a single mother. Um, me and my brothers, just half of us were here. The other half was on their way. And um, then we went to, then I went to uh, Hopkinson off of Ellen Luzerne. We moved around some more. And there were times we didn't have a place to move or call home technically. We were homeless. And, you know, that was a struggle. You know, my shout out to my grandfather and my grandmother who came over to help stabilize the household, right? And um, then I went to Northeast High School. So even as I travel around now engaging people, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place, right? right? We we were all over the place. And so I'm from all over, you know. I'm multi-local, you know. Never heard that one before. <laughs> I like that. Thank you very Let's much. Let's make a note of that, Chris, so I can use that in the future. <laughs> multi-local. I like that. I'm multi-local. So, um, so that's, that's me in that space. Then I went to Penn State. I went to Penn State University, went to Abington, Oregon's campus, uh, you know, worked through school, did my thing. Uh, and then I, my, my major was in administration of justice and minority studies. In my senior year, I, I did an internship on Capitol Hill. 
for Senator Carol Mosey Braun. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing, amazing woman. Um, and um, and then shortly after that internship in my senior year, a very good friend of mine uh, who just became t- uh, father to twins, he was murdered. And so I decided to, instead of go to law school, I, I got into financial planning and security. So I got my, my license, my Series 6 and 63 and studying for my 7, and I got into the hood. And I insured everybody, everybody. <laughs> you, if you were my friend, you, your parents, the hood, everybody. Got into financial literacy, financial education. I did that for a couple of years until my, my soul felt you know satisfied to a certain extent. But I wanted to serve the community even in a deeper way. So I worked with this other company called EDSI, Educational Data Systems, and I got into workforce development, helping the unemployed, underemployed get back into the workforce. And that was very enriching. It was great. In the meantime, Reverend Dr. Herb Lust was like, Donovan, we meet periodically. You talk to me about what's happening in this space, but it's time for you to come home. I'm like, what are you talking about, Pastor? He's like, I need you to come home to people for people. And so in 2003, I jumped into that space, you know, running, helping to manage and expand faith, a faith-based and community-based organization, People for People, had programs like the Pregnant and Parenting Youth Program, the EARN Center, Employment Advancement and Retention Network Center, the Rapid Reemployment and, and Re-empl- uh, Rapid Attachment and Rapid Reemployment Program, which dealt with, you know, retention and, and providing assistance and a number of other things, the Fatherhood Program, Renewable Energy Program, a number of other th- pieces such as the Charter School, um, the Community Development Credit Union, such an amazing array of different programs and services. And so Dr. Lusk um, was a visionary. Beyond, right? Yeah, beyond yeah. a blessing to this world. And so I was able to get my feet not just wet, but be totally immersed in this program and, and just, uh, you could call it an ecosystem, if you will. Literally from the womb to the tomb, we had you covered. Partnerships with Eastern University. And so a banquet facility, we can keep going, right? So I was there for over 16 years, just getting, just just not even knowing what all this was for, but just being faithful, focused, right? And at the same time, I had another foot in entrepreneurship. So I worked with organizations like Community Capital Works, Philadelphia Development Partnership, Chester Microenterprise Partnership, uh, some of which turned into Entrepreneur Works today, and assisting black and brown businesses in many different communities and corridors throughout Philadelphia in terms of helping them move from the the stage of hustling as a business to true entrepreneurship, you know, getting into systems and leveraging resources and things of that nature. And so I did that on, on the side, so to speak. But well, that was my other life in, a, in addition to what I was doing for the communities, uh, underserved communities. So I did that for over 16 plus years. And then in 2019 is when I took over the African-American Chamber of Commerce for Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. And just in time for what was one of the most devastating periods we're still navigating through right now, right? COVID, right? People think it's over, but I can tell you for certain uh, businesses that are owned by people of color uh, who didn't have access to all the resources are still trying to recover to this day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so... Doing that and still working through it, I, you know, there were certain things that I also set up during my journey. I, um, I created an organization, a company called Culturally Congruent Solutions, focusing on the DEI space. Um, and also more recently, 
uh, several years ago, created BBA, Black Business Accelerator, focusing on leadership development, scaling up businesses, providing a healthy atmosphere for businesses to grow and to scale, and also, most of, most of all, to partner in strategic ways that will impact our community. And so those are a couple of things. Also, somewhere along the line, I picked up a master's in organizational leadership from Eastern University. So there's a couple of things I shared, personal and professional. There you go. All right. So you've got a wealth of experience in the, in the uh, secular, uh, doing a lot of great things. It seems like, and you're a young man. I mean, how old are you right now? Man, you, you say, say, say young again, please. Just you're a young man. How oh, man. old are you? Hey, you touch me. I'm 48. So you're 48 years old, and you've now made the decision mm-hmm. to make a run for Philadelphia City Council. How do we go from entrepreneurial-minded uh, brother doing great things to now— let me get into the political arena where, let's be honest, a lot of things get stalled. Sometimes we, <laughs> sometimes we look at our political system and we wonder, is it really operating for the people, right? Yeah. What makes you want to jump into that arena now? Well, one thing is, is that I serve. I serve, number one. Um, number two, when you know, the opportunity presented itself, I, I had to qualify it as an opportunity, first of all. It's only an opportunity if you're prepared. And if, it's not, if you're not prepared, it's just a situation. So I did, a, I, I did an inventory of who I am, what I've done, where I'm going, what's the theme there in terms of seeking to be of purpose. And I also did a gap analysis. I looked at what was leaving when I saw the great exodus, right, of, of talent and, and resources that was now in pursuit, you know, of becoming mayor. And, and what I saw in the different candidates were, you know, all the initiatives that, that, that identified us, black business, business corridors, cleaning up the streets, education, they all were leaving. And, and, and no, no disrespect, you know, everyone has the right to, to pursue what they need to pursue. I just thought to myself, well, where are we at now? And I couldn't walk away from it, Pastor. I couldn't walk away from it. I was convicted. And after that, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to think about it. But more than that, I'm going to pray on it. And I prayed on it for two and a half weeks, something like that. And I was there in my normal seat at Greater Exodus Baptist Church. And it hit me like, it's go. It's go time. And so I'm running in a way that, you know, I'm all over the place. Everyone would say, I saw him. I, I, yeah, I'm running because I'm running on purpose. It's not just, oh, you know, professionally. No, no, I've, I've done some great things and I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the journey that I've, you know, that I've experienced and the legacy that I'm living. But more importantly, I prayed on it. I'm a person of purpose. I'm a servant leader and I'm here to serve. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM. We are in the pastor's office talking with Donovan West, running for city council member at large. Donovan, the two members at large currently um, are basically new to the council. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one for certain mm-hmm. has done some great work. Yeah. Um, the evening program, mm-hmm. uh, you know, giving a place for our young people uh, to yeah. go uh, at night, anytime during the night mm-hmm. uh, and starting them up in different parts of the city. I'm talking about Catherine Gilmore Richardson. Um, doing a great work. Yeah. Um, 
I'm just curious mm-hmm. because I do believe when you're in the political system, you do have to have a little bit of time, a little runway yeah. before you can really become effective Okay. because you got to learn how to work the system, right? Yeah. Why you now and not the individuals that are currently serving who've only been there for a short period of time? Well, the you know, it's it's not either or in my, from my perspective, right? It's it's and. I want to join them. You know, I want to provide the experience, the background of having worked in spaces and places where you had to have the power to convene, communicate effectively, right? Identify and create what you would say a common sense consensus around what's most important. And then last of all, the power to converge, to actually move on something. Like you, you mentioned earlier, right? The, you know, Whether you want to call it bureaucracy or just pure procrastination, whichever way you want to call it, right? There seems to be an issue around how things can go from ideation to creation to execution, right? And for myself, I have some experience. I've been fortunate enough to have some of that experience. And I'd like to be a part of that team that's delivering it in a certain kind of way. And I respect those, by the way, that have been there and that will be there, that will be my peers. Because here's the truth of the matter. I'm going to be one of 17, right? So we need to walk into that space understanding I, I have no plans at all to walk in and just assert myself as just being X, Y, and Z. Not at all. It is to learn what they've been working on, what's important to them, and then also to share, and then for us to identify what we can celebrate in terms of common issues and move forward in that system. Let's explain to the listeners, though, yes, how the at-large election works. Yeah. Help them understand how the at-large position is selected. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at-large, you can, you can choose five, five candidates for at-large, as opposed to any other um, position you're looking at, you, it, you you get to actually look at five candidates when you are looking at the ballot and make your decision. So you do not have to make a choice between myself and Kathy Gilmore Richardson, who I love. I adore her. She's amazing. And I can see her doing big things. I don't even want to obligate her right now and say that, but she's amazing. Um, you don't have to choose me or you know, Isaiah Thomas, you don't have to do that. You can pick all of us, right? You can pick five, at least out of all the candidates. And so that's important that you understand that representing, of course, for the Democratic, you know, uh, parties. Um, For the, you know, you have other, which would be Republican and, you know, working families, right? You have other candidates that fall into that category that you can, if you're of that, when the time comes, it's, it's not that time on May 16th, but you can do that as well. And so, I am representing at large, which also means for the for the city, not for a particular district. There are 10 that represent every district, one per district. Right. And so you have that 10 plus the five at large for the Democratic Party and then the other two. So that's a total of 17 of us. Right. And so that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to be a team member slash leader in that space that's going to um, bring my background and experience to to be a benefit uh, to the overall process. Let's talk about some issues. Um, one of the things that uh, we talk about a lot here in the pastor's office are young people yeah. uh, and our school systems. Uh, what are your positions now? I mean, 
pandemic taught us a lot about the weaknesses in our school systems, Mm -hmm. not just structurally, uh, but the ability to make sure that every student has an opportunity at an equally uh, strong education. A lot was uncovered during that pandemic. Uh, Talk to us about how we get all of our young people, no matter their color, no matter their race, no matter their zip code, a seat at the table of success. Well, that's what I believe in. I believe in universal access to quality education. And what does that look like? It looks like we stop talking about the difference between charter schools versus public schools. Let's stop that. I'm all for quality education, quality education, and also a keen eye on what's not working. So whether you, you know, you shouldn't have a sigh of relief because you work for the school district in terms of the quality of work. There should be equal tension and, and attention, right, as it relates to whether or not you're carrying it out and we're actually seeing outcomes as it relates to, you know, your attention to detail on serving the children in your space, period. Yes, we can talk about the structural issues. We can talk about asbestos and lead and all those things. We can talk about, you know, efficiencies in terms of buildings that are, that are uh, occupied uh, by, you know, 20 to 25 percent. Right? We could talk about how we need to move spaces and, and get into innovation. We should have those conversations, but more importantly, we should look at it from a solution-oriented, solution-centered approach. So not, not to just articulate, have these conversations and, and just talk about, what. okay, so now what? We need to have less meetings and more work groups. And I want to get into that in terms of, okay, so what does that look like? Who, who are our partners, not just from a public standpoint, but private? Because they have a vested interest. Right. The brain drain is real. We, so if, if you're hearing you're just surviving this space because of the conditions, what's the first thing you're naturally going to do? You're going to leave. So we so so those of you that are the, the big companies that are looking to hire our biggest employers, you have a vested interest as well. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the UVP, the unique value proposition of why you need to actually invest, not just placate by way of some kind of um Donation. No, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about also just a little slice of the budget. No, we're talking about being very deliberate and intentional about making sure that there's an investment budget-wise. Recently, Kenny proposed a $6.1 billion you know, budget. So we should focus our energy on is there a direct alignment in terms of our priorities and an investment in our future you know, reflected in that budget? And if not, then what would that look like? And who are our partners? So I'm excited about being able to have a seat at the table and talk about that. I I have experience not looking at and and analyzing and breaking down billion-dollar budgets, but multi-million-dollar budgets in my prior capacity at People for People. I want to lend that experience and commit to being able to say, hey, here's some other ways that we should look at this, and here's some other things that we should propose uh, that that I believe may be missing and, and identify, you know, them as do we all see the same thing? OK, great. Let's move forward on that. So I want I want to get into what does the solution look like? Because we have a lot of people that we, we can look it up right now. What are all the issues? What are your top 10, top 20? Yeah. But how are we going to get through it? But do we have a you know, I, I think education is there's a couple facets to it. One is we got to have great teachers. Amen. Motivated and enthusiastic teachers. Amen. Uh, and I think we got a teacher issue in Philadelphia uh, from a recruitment standpoint, from a pay standpoint, from a morale standpoint. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk let's, about the third one. Let's talk, one. About, let's talk about that third one, the morale, right? Mm-hmm. You have to invest. And if you don't invest, then what, what happens? You start to, it, I'll give you a good example. If you're not treated like you're valuable, then you yourself will question your own value. 
And it's going to impact how you move, mm-hmm. how you look at yourself, how you look at your environment. We have to make that an investment in them. But also we need to go into another space. And I love, I love the church for this, and that is the spiritual space and the mental space. We have to address you know, our teachers in a way in terms of it becomes more trauma sensitive, not just to the students, but to them as well, what they're experiencing. So we have to be trauma sensitive as well and, and, and create the space where they can unload and, and talk about what they're experiencing and make sure that they understand that the more that we have that level of transparency and create a higher level of intimacy there, they can feel like we're their partner, not their employer. We have to be partners in this because this is overwhelming that, you know, coming out of this COVID compromised space that we're in, there are many levels in terms of what they need to break through in order to actually still remain effective. Things of which they have never experienced and we collectively have not experienced. So we have to issue some level of grace and it starts with being able to create this other dimension around how are you actually feeling? How are you processing this? How are, how are you yourself going through this as well as, of course, the technical things around the resources that are available, blah, blah, blah. We get that component to it, but we need to usher in a trauma-sensitive approach to how we're operating this as well, because especially for the city of Philadelphia, there is no one that is far removed beyond a degree when it comes to trauma coming from, you know, violence and, and gun violence to be very specific, you know, so we need to talk about that. The other part is just to live in Philadelphia. Teachers today are going to struggle in terms of living arrangements because we, we, we are struggling when it comes to affordable housing. A teacher's salary right, is, is not something where they can pick where they're going to live at. And so we need to create the right kind of environment for our teachers also to feel comfortable where they work at so that they don't have to move so far out and then commute all the way in because that messes with another thing, retention. So just in terms of what's happening in the teachers' lives also impacts whether or not they can be the quality teacher and be at their full potential. So we need to address that as well. And then, of course, we have salary, right, basic, right? What's your salary and benefits? Is it is it competitive? You show your priorities by where you spend your money. Amen. Right. And so if we're you know, so teachers have historically mm-hmm. been underpaid. Yeah. You know, how do we properly address that? Because retention is an issue. Well, the number one thing, again, is it's is about making sure that we stabilize that workforce. Mm-hmm. We have to. Again, that's another investment. What's the investment look like? And so I want to look at. And I want to, and when I say look at, I'm talking about analyze. What are we spending? And what are our competitors spending? Mm-hmm. And so, what the best thing about it is, we just had a fund a, a issue from a third party that said the current way that our budget is is allocated to to education and everything else is unconstitutional. So we know we don't need to fight anymore about who's right. <laughs> There's a judgment. I know we got limited time here. Let's go to an, uh, I want to go to the other side of this 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 uh, school piece, and then I want to move to a couple other topics. No so if we can, I want to kind of do a little bit of rapid fire Let's here. Let's do it. All right. So the other side of the school piece is reinforcement at home. Yeah. All right. A lot of our children do not have. They don't even have workspace at home. Uh, I think we've really worked hard over the last couple of years to solve the internet access challenge, mm-hmm. but still a quiet workspace, uh, 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 parents in the house or somebody in the house that's asking the kid, what do you have to do tonight? Yeah. And, and let's face it, every child's not going to get that. Right. So how do we help those young people keep pace? Well, we have to make sure that that investment also includes keeping our schools open for longer periods of time, including the summer. We have to address the fact that 
There's a there's an issue called. We have to go work on the farm in the summer. <laughs> no, no, we're not doing. Oh, we're not doing that anymore. No, no we're not okay. doing that. All right, all right, all right. There's none of that. So, so yeah, that old antiquated. <laughs> I love how you said that. Absolutely, that's wrong. The summer slide is real, by the way. If you don't know what the summer slide is, it means that you come back worse than you left. You you if you're a student, you you leave in June, right? In certain parts of the world, it's, it's a little earlier, and then when you return to school. It's almost as if you lost a grade level in terms of your math, comp- your reading comprehension. The summer slide is real. So we need to keep our schools open. Now, I know I may not be your favorite as a result of that comment, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that understand. And again, it goes back to where you put your investment. We need to invest in our, in our youth, in our future. And it starts with making sure that they have a fighting chance at the next level, whatever that is, whether it's vocational school, whether it is you know your colleges, your universities, you need to make sure that they're ap- that they're aptly equipped, and it doesn't start there. It actually starts back in early childhood education years, three to four years of age. That investment, the first two thousand days of a child's life, are extremely impressionable. We need to make sure that every child has early child ed- ed- education, have access to quality early childhood education. Let's move forward. Absolutely. Um, violence in Philadelphia. Mm. Uh, every year, uh, the, the the amount of, the number of murders increases. Yeah. Uh, it's not leveling off. Access to guns uh, in our communities is still a major issue. Community policing. I, mm. I still believe, and I'm not running for office, so nobody cares about my position, but I still believe we could train a police force to really understand what community policing is all about. We really could solve a lot of issues in some of our communities. Agreed. But talk to me about this violence that is ra- that is ravaging our streets and how you as a council person would work to impact that well this is one of my you know issues that i've i've had you know for years i mean uh, my my degree is in administration of justice i got that at penn state and um, i've always looked at the system overall and said you know this is what i would do different um you know our cops they they need to walk they need to walk they need to get out of the vehicles and that's part of them understanding and starting to to cement a, a relationship with the community our community needs to partner. They need to be properly deputized. What I mean by that, again, is that, you know, a, a cop's time, 75% of that to 80% of it is administrative. They're not even out in the car. They're actually, a, you know, writing up reports, going to court, doing a whole bunch of other things. We need to fix that. We need to, you know, outsource that to another trusted entity that can get that information. We, You know, technology-wise, they can record and do a whole bunch of other things to, to reduce the, the amount of administrative time. Mental health. It has to be at the top. It has to be the top of our agenda in terms of how cops are processing. You know, many of them, again, traumatized. And so, you know, we need to create that space and help to normalize mental health in that in that work culture. In addition to that, the culture of us and them, we need to be a part of the solution. It can't be. It has to be us. There is not going to be enough. I know people talk about this many more cops is needed. No, it's not about just that. It's about the community that knows about some of those uh, cancers that are in our in our communities, right? The shooters, the shotters that are doing what they're doing. And we need to decentralize and destabilize that their, their impact on the family. So many of them are breadwinners. Let's talk about it like a family, right? We need to make sure that they, they understand that they will be protected and that they will not lose their meals, right? And other, other things that they have going on, right? 
money in her pocket, able to pay the bills. We need to have the programs in place so that the family is, is not shook when that person is no longer there. And in addition to that, there are those that are call themselves providing for their families, right, protecting their families, that also need other healthy options. Those programs and things that they need. I'll give you a good example of a model that worked some time ago. Uh, Commissioner Ramsey actually had it. It's called Focus Deterrence. It's a great program, by the way. It was, it was dismantled because of a shift in administration. We need to take another look at that. Maybe even modify for a 2024 version or, or really a right now version, if possible, if it was up to me. But it talks about using analytics, details, to focus on specific areas and specific entities that are, that are doing you know, the majority of the work in a bad way, I'm talking about. And, 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 and being very precise in terms of how we want to engage with not just a punitive approach. No, not at all. I'm talking about the supports that I spoke of, programs that focus on you know, ways that they can get skills, that can get jobs family-sustaining jobs, not just an opportunity where we just are babysitting people. No, we're, we're talking about outcomes that lead to, you know, family and, and individual changes that can take place. It's not always about families being attached to individuals that are without, you know, resources. It's about the individual themselves feeling empowered to be able to make better choices. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, and we're here in the pastor's office talking with Donovan West about his candidacy for council member at large. Black and brown businesses. Black and brown businesses. You have shared with me uh, that that's something that is very important uh, for you. I can tell you as a black business owner, Mm -hmm. um, operations in Philly, North Carolina, Iowa, I'm thankful to God that during the pandemic, I had accountant prepared financial statements. Amen. You know, I had tax returns that I could present. You know, I had all of that together, Mm -hmm. but there were so many of our businesses that did not have those basic tent poles of business. So they were excluded. Mm-hmm. from any of the government resources yeah. that were coming down to help bring people through the pandemic. As a result, many are still suffering. One of my major, major, major issues and focuses as relates to black and brown businesses is education. Yeah, Helping them to know because some don't know what they don't know. Talk to us about black and brown businesses and what you would do as a council member to help strengthen that very important part of our community. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we need to do is we need to make sure that the government, Philadelphia government, creates fertile ground for business development and expansion for it to scale. But you mentioned something earlier, right, and that is educating businesses. They do need to know how important it is that they have all the components, right, that they are that they are actually set up officially, that they get from under the table, right, that they have their EINs, they have their insurances that they need, their business licenses and things of that nature, that they also have some access to subject matter experts when it comes to HR or law or legal issues or financial issues, things of that nature. Of course, starting to develop relationships, well, first, developing trust for financial institutions, right, and then expanding in terms of having a relationship with them, uh, having all of their information together and a digital version of it as well, right? We, we can continue. We, we will go on for hours on this, but 
bottom line, it is about educating. It is also about, you know, dismantling the myth around setting up a business and the fact that a business is a, uh, the myth that a business is a tax burden and it's not, it's a tax shelter. Let's talk about it like a family, right? So I may need to come back and we need to go a little deeper on this one, but the truth of the matter is, right? We need to educate, we need to provide access, but also the city needs to do its part in being a partner, not just around for taxation purposes, not creating a struggle for you to 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 think twice and three times as to whether or not you want to bring your business from under the table. When I mean by that, I'm talking about the informal economy. We know about the corridors upon corridors and the basements and the attics and everywhere else where businesses exist. And, and it's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't have that stage of your business, right? Some of the most prolific businesses started in a garage and there was no EIN in sight. We understand that. But hustling should be a stage and not a state. Oh, I like that. Thank you, sir. I like that. I like that. Donovan West. Yes, sir. Candidate for council member at large. City of Philadelphia. Tell our listeners where they can find out more information about your campaign. Thank you so much, sir, again for having me. Uh, you can reach out via my website at www.donovan, D O N A V A N 4 F O R, philly.com, P H I L L Y.com. Okay, you can access any information. Everything that I stand for in terms of the different topics that we discussed and more, you can find that as well as you can fill out some information and share a question, comment, suggestion, whatever. And I read them all. I read every last one of them. Very interactive on my site. Looking forward to serving you and looking forward more, more so for you to give me the permission to serve you. I need your permission. Donovan West. Thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. We pray God's speed for you as you continue to move about and work to serve the city of Philadelphia and its citizens. God bless you, man. Pastor, thank you. And one last thing, mm -hmm. I ask that you, you pray for me and pray for the city. Because even as we, we, we ask for permission to serve, we, we, need to, we need to heal. We need to heal. You need to give us an opportunity. And right now, a lot of people have bad taste in their mouth from other political experiences. And I'm just asking for an opportunity for, for, for a fresh slate, if you will. Thank you. Prayer works. Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you're while listening to Phyllis Favre. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Yeah. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Find the frequency, yeah. tune in. Get up, word. We're Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat in the pastor's office. Son.